Hi, and welcome back. We will begin Perek Ted Zion. Our learning is dedicated to Eloi Nishmat Rivka, but Yaakov Alevi, and Lucy, Maya, and Rina D. Hashem Yikom Damam. Fua Shleim Apatila Batya Bechaya Tova, Brachli Kaiba Rachel Gito, Yedid Yechaim, and Aviv Rivka Chaya, Moshe Eli Melech Alevi Ben Basha, Shalom Chaya Sarah, and Shaduchim for all those in need. We we kind of left off with a question back, I think, two or three weeks ago that we never really addressed. And the question, I think, is an important one to understand. The question is, how does this lottery work? And even what does this goral mean? In fact, the word goral that we're going to have in Nachala, sometimes it's a sense of it's arbitrary. This is your land. And sometimes it seems like it's more Nachala is actually your physical piece of property. How exactly does it work? So the Gemara in Baba Bata tells us an amazing story. The Gemara tells us this is how it worked. The Kohen Gadol would announce, right now I'm about to pick out the land and the portion of Zvulun, for instance, will go to the, will be, get the coast by Akko. Zvulun, Shevet Zvulun, coast by Akko. Amazing. It's a declaration that's made by the Kohen Gadol. And then what happens? They would dig their hand into the box. The box would be the one, probably not looking exactly like this, would have in it the names of the Shvatim. And out would pop out Zvulun. Wow. The Kohen Gadol had just said Zvulun would get the coast. And out he picks Zvulun. And then he would pick again, and it would come out with a Nachla, the, the area by Akko. What does that do? It tells you that there is something going on here. It's not just random. There is a, a piece of Nevuah, Ruach HaKodesh. Somehow the divine spirit is directing who will end up with which Nachla. And so it seems, and the Gemara then goes through other places where, again, the Kohen Gadol would, would state, this is who's going to come out. This is what he's going to get. Boom. That's exactly what happened. Okay. That's a pretty special thing. What is the purpose of it working that way? I think that that's something that we really do have to try to understand. So Rev. Remer says something beautiful. He says, A division like this leaves no questions in the hearts of the Jewish people. Everybody got what they were supposed to get. The fact that it was done this way, it gives each shevet a sense of feeling that what they were getting was the perfect place for them. And not only that, but we're going to see in just a few moments that there's more going on here. And all of this would give the sense and the feeling to each Shevet, Ibalti Haaptulimit, I got the optimal place for me to live. Beautiful. The question is, why do they end up where they end up? Is there rhyme or reason to it? Does it make sense? Or is it just that it happens to work out? So if you look at the map on the screen, you'll see on the left, this is how the Shvatim were. Okay, Reuven, Gad, and Chatzi, Menashe were familiar. They end up on the other side of the Jordan. Yehuda, we already know, gets southern Israel. Shimon below them. 
Binyamin gets the Nook in Yerushalayim, and above them is Ephraim and Menashe, and then beyond that is Yisachar, Zvulun, and Asher, Asher all the way up north, and Dan hugs the coast. So it's a couple interesting things to, to note about this. The first one, which we're going to spend the bulk of our time on, is the fact that Yehuda, as the most prominent son of Leah, seems to be right up against Binyamin, who is nestled in between Yehuda and Menashe and Ephraim, the Bnei Yosef. And so the first question that we have to ask ourselves is, why is it that Yosef and Yehuda become neighbors in such a close way? Is this the best possible outcome for these people? We know that there's a history of Yehuda and and Yosef not necessarily getting along. Could it have been wiser if you're dividing the land? Stick some of the Bnei Hashvachot. Maybe put Dan in there. Maybe put Asher in there. You could, you could somehow, by doing that, you can soften the blow. They don't have to be next-door neighbors. And sometimes when you don't get along with someone, the best way to get along is not live nearby each other. But when you have to walk out of your door, you have to walk down your block and you see them, it gives this visceral feeling of, ugh, every time you see them. So why is it that God says, amazing, let's put them together? And again, we already said, how is the Nachla done? It's pulled out. It's all divinely inspired. Nobody have a question. So why do they have to be like that? That's the first question. But is there anything else that we can see in the land that is fascinating in terms of how it's set up. So I want to share with you a couple possibilities. The first possibility is a beautiful thought. And if you take a look, this is actually, I flipped the uh, the image around, because, and that's why some of the words are read in a somewhat uncomfortable way. But I want, I want you to see it the way it is here. This over here is the, on the right, is a picture of how the tribes camped in the desert. Okay, in in more than just the fact of how the Shvatim uh, camp is, look at how the Mishkan was situated in the midst of them, and even within that, I want to focus on a specific aspect of how the Mishkan was set up. So, in the east is Shevet Yehuda, or Ma, really Degel Yehuda, Yehuda with Yisachar and Zvulun. Okay, so they're together. And look which way they face. They face, um, if you go up from where they are, you're going to come to the Knisa, to the entrance of the Beta, of the Mishkan. Now, I want you to take a look at Ephraim. That's the Bnei Yosef, which comprised Binyamin, Menashe, and Ephraim. They are in the West, but they find themselves behind the Kodesh HaKadoshim. And then on each side, you have Ruvain and you have Dan. Now, I want you to take a look now for just a moment at the other map. Now, again, I recognize that the east, west, north, south, it's, it's wrong because Yehuda is in the south, whereas by the Mishkan, he's situated to the east. But in both cases, right above where he's staying, you find the entrance to the Mishkan the Mikdash. And similarly, in both cases where you find Yosef, Yosef is behind the Kodesh HaKadoshim. 
And in each case, Ruvain and Dan, they flank the sides of the Mishkan, which here as well, you have Ruvain and Dan. Now, their whole mat, their whole Dagel is not there. And Ruvain and Dan are actually the mirror image, whereas Yehuda and Ephraim and Yosef are, are actually the same way. So it leaves us with some, doesn't work exactly perfect. If you're looking to say, oh, wow, I scored a, I, I, I hit a home run. Everything is exactly perfect. No, but there seems to be a connection to the way the Mishkan is situated in the desert and the way the land is divided. So that's one possibility, is that God is creating the Nachla here in Eretz Yisrael to reflect a similar closeness in the Mishkan as there is um, to the desert. Okay. That's, that's one possibility. And I think that leaves us with an important notion that God wanted the land to look a little bit like the way it was in the desert. Interestingly, which is way beyond the scope of what we're going to do today, but Yechezkel quotes at the end, he has a beautiful nevuah where he talks about the end of days, the final base Samigdash is going to be built. Anybody that's learned Yechezkel with me knows that we don't know, is Yechezkel talking about Bayit Sheni and it didn't turn out to be Bayit Sheni, uh, the, the final one? Or is he really talking about Bayit Shlishi and he understood that Bayit Shlishi wasn't going to be the final resting place of the base of Mikdash? But either way, one of the pieces that Yechezkel discusses is the, the way the land will be laid out at the end of days. And it's not this way. It's a completely different, uh, different setup. So take a look at the end of Yechezkel if that piques your interest. Okay, so that's one possibility. And I think that that's fascinating. But there's another possibility how they end up. And this is something that I think is really, really fascinating to look at. So if you look at the, the stories of Bereshit, and if you look through the end of Devarim, when Moshe Rabbeinu gives the brachos to the Jewish people, what you'll find is that the Jewish people, you don't know a lot about the Shvatim, but you get nuggets that each shevet. And that helps us build a picture understand a little bit better what exactly each Shevet is all about. And the Chama Price has an excellent book called Tribal Blueprints. Um, it's, it's a great read. And if you want to, if you do it, you'll see. What she does is she takes the characters from Chumash. So we see them mainly in Bereshus, but there are spots and characters that we see played out throughout the rest of the Torah. And then she plays it through Tanakh and she shows how you could take Yehuda and you will find Yehuda's personality to be the, it, it's embodied in his descendants. It's, it's a very interesting uh, idea. And so when we take a look at the Shvatim, we could do the same thing. So let's take a look at Yisachar. Yisachar is given the bracha. Hamor go, hagorem rovates. You are, he is the, the donkey. Now, the donkey can mean a lot of different things. One possibility is that the donkey is the broad shoulders and the strength of the donkey is the the persistence and the insistence on devoting oneself to Torah study. But also, it says, says Rabbi Rammer that this is the donkey of 
the fields. It's a donkey that will help the people be successful in cultivating the land. What land does he get? Emek Yisrael ve'emek Beit Chan. Based on who he was and based on the bracha that he had received, when he hears, wow, this is the land I'm getting, he says to himself, it matches. This is what my kochot are, and therefore my land that makes perfect sense for him. It's a fascinating, fascinating idea. And he continues and says, Naftali Naftali is the fast. The, the hind, the deer. What is it? So he says, Deer is tsanua, nav, it's humble. Maybe it's, it's, um, it's tsanua, it's, um, has that characteristic of modesty because you see it and then it's gone. The deer is not an animal that lets you fawn over it, but it disappears very quickly. A cow he gets the valley of Ginosar. It has speed. Fruit comes out so quickly there. And the spices that came quickly are the ones that grow there. Naftali makes sense that he gets the land that he gets. And then Asher, Asher, what, what's his bracha? His bracha is that Tovel Vashem and Raglo. He's going to be, I think he gets it from both, from both sides, from both Yaakov and from Moshe. It's a bracha of tremendous amounts of oil. Where does he find himself? He's up in the Galil, land that is known for its rich oil. You go and drive up north of Tiveria, you'll just see field after field after field full of olives, the best of the best of the, the, of the Shemen. What's going on here? Is that Yosef, Asher belongs or he belongs. Naftali belongs or he belongs. And Asher belongs or he belongs. But it goes more than that. It means really that every Shevet finds their place. Remer talks about Menashe. Menashe, it makes so much sense to be in the land that he's in. Why? Is he's the one that connected with his father historically. He worked with his father. He understood what Shechem meant. Binyamin is a zev, it's a wolf. He need, you need to have that cunning, that, that, that strength to be able to live in an area of the mountains by Yerushalayim. Each of the Shvatim gets the land that is most, most matim. It's most suitable. It's most appropriate for their personalities so that they could cultivate not only the land, they could fully cultivate their personalities. It's a beautiful idea by Rav Remmer that explains to us so much of why it all ends and everybody ends up where they end up. So I want to read you Pasag Aleph. I'm actually today fully out of the dot mikra. My, my usual mikro gedolot is not even open. So I think it's more helpful to read it here. I want to read Pasuk Aleph. And there's, there should be a question. It's probably going to, if you're looking at the screen, going to already be in your head. The, the goral of B'nai Yosef came from the point 
that the yarding touches Yericho all the way up, going going up to May Yericho Mizracha. And it goes up to Beitel. It's giving us a, uh, a general overview of what's going on. But the question is, what do you mean Yosef? Yosef's not really a tribe. Tell us, this Perak Ted Zion is going to be the land of Ephraim, and Perak Yud Zion is going to be the land of Manasseh. Okay, fine. Why do I need to be told Yosef? I want to go back in time a little bit. I know that we haven't done any psukim really, and we've already been at this for quite a bit of time. But I think the introduction for today is going to be more significant than, to us than the psukim themselves, which are highly technical borders. Yosef's not really a tribe. So what is the Torah really getting at? What is the purpose here? So I want to take you back to where Yosef really begins. Yosef is just another son until he's not another son. Yosef gets the technicolor dream code. He gets the ketonet hapasim. And what happens with the ketonet hapasim? He then has dreams. He tells the brothers his dreams, which we could spend weeks and weeks analyzing. Why is he doing that? But he tells them the dreams. He feels that his dreams are more than just the the daydreaming of a kid who wants to be successful, wants to be great. There, This is a vision. Rabbi Et Shalom has a beautiful idea that he says, when you have two dreams in the Torah, that's Nevoah. You have one dream, it's just like a nice thought. I, 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 everybody has their ask what they want to be. Sometimes at night you go to sleep and those are the thoughts that play in your head. Not surprising because that's what the thoughts in your head all day long. But when you have two dreams, it's Nevoah. And that was in Sora in the house of, Yos- of Yaakov. So when Yosef had two dreams, he was like, wait a second. This is the real deal. It's not just a 17-year-old kid who's like, whoa, I'm going to rule over my brothers. No, this is God talking to me. And then, of course, there's the terrible scene, which is Mechiras Yosef, which is where the two come together. The brothers say, "Ah, the dreamer is here. Let's see what's going to happen to his dreams. And they rip the coat. They rip the coat. And according to some, they rip the coat underneath the coat. They leave him with, not only don't you have the special coat, you don't even have the regular coat that all of us have. What's going on here? What is this all about? It doesn't take much to understand that there's a fierce competition between the brothers. The brothers all want to be special. Yosef is chosen to be special. And it only plays into the psyche of the brothers because it compounds Leah's feeling of I'm the unloved wife, which translates into my children are the unloved children. Leah compensates. She doesn't have the love of her husband. but She has the fact that she has six of the 12 boys. Rachel might be the most beloved. But what does she possess? Only two children. And those are not too easy children to come by. It takes her a lot, a lot to get to that point. Perhaps the scene that most defines the strife between and the, and the strain between Rachel and Leah is the moment when Reuven comes as a little kid and brings the Dudaim, those flowers. And Leah feels, I might not have the love of my husband, 
but I have the love, the adoration, the affection of my son. Rashi tells us that these mandrakes were believed to have the ability to give one children. And so Rachel says, give me the dudah, give me some of them. And you would think this is not so far removed from the moment where Rachel gives the simanim according to Chazal to Leah. And what does Leah say? Leah says, you have my husband, you also want my flowers? Such tension. Rav Hirsch, parenthetically, has this beautiful comment, which gets around the whole thing. And he says, Leah is sort of like, ha ha, you have my husband, ha ha, you can have my flowers. She's not being mean about it. But I don't think that's, that doesn't seem to be pshat and psukim. Pshat and psukim seem to be, they're coming to head, ahead here. Now imagine if this is the tension that exists between them. What comes down to their children? If adults fight, they sometimes fight with sophistication. When their children fight, but it's the same fight as the parents, it's never with sophistication. It's generally done in a way that's much more immature. It's going to lead to Yosef in the pit and possibly Yosef dying. We have to remind ourselves In a certain sense, the ultimate hero can be traced to Yehuda. Yes, Yehuda says, ah, why are we doing this? Mabetza, what would we gain by killing our brother? But he does save Yosef's life. And ultimately, if you fast forward to the moment of Binyamin, he's the one that stands up for his brother. They've come full circle. The brother that was willing to get rid and cast away Yosef is willing to go and save a son of Rachel. The children of the unloved wife Leah come to peace with who they are and where they are. Fascinating. Fascinating way to read this. Perhaps... This is the focus. Perhaps what the Torah is trying to tell us is why are Yehuda and, and, and Ephraim and Menashe and really all of B'nai Rachel, why are they neighbors? What we said wouldn't it have made more sense to put them far apart. No, God says to them, you have to be near each other. You know why? Because I want you to be together because that's the destiny of the Jewish people. And it can only happen when the brothers are able to get along. Rabbi Michael Hatton says the following. He says, the goal of coming to Eretz Yisrael, the accountant you say for Yoshua is therefore a further expression of the great challenge to face this nation of Israel. To enter Canaan, not in order to follow the detached example of the fractious Canaanite city-states. Don't be like the Canaanim where you have the room. Israel's easy for that. Pick a mountaintop. You don't have to see your neighbors. You don't have to talk to the people 10 miles away. You'll never see them. Don't be like that, but instead become a cohesive people with common goals, shared aspirations, and a collective destiny. Yosef and Yehuda each embody different aptitudes and ability. These were suggestive of variation and diversity, the critical characteristics for any people to possess if they are to fashion a rich and textured national life. 
rather than one that is one-dimensional and shallow. You don't have to be like the Canaanim. Yehuda, Yosef, they possess such unbelievable differences. But imagine when you put them together, what can be? God puts them together as though they have to look each other in the eye and say, we can get along. We can make this happen. And if, in fact, we can make this happen, do you know what that means? It means that the Jewish people could succeed. They could become a nation, not a bunch of city-states. I did not find anyone that says this, so I am going a little bit on my own about this. But perhaps, perhaps there is some truth to this. I have on the screen a rough, a rough picture of what it looks like in Israel with the rough border, not exactly between, probably it should be a little bit higher, a rough border of where Yehuda and Yosef split up. But here is the amazing thing. The capital of Yehuda for a very long time is Hebron. It makes sense. It's the city that Kalev goes to. It's the city that he davens in. Go all the way up north. It's the city of Shechem. Shechem is the capital of Menashe. It's the capital of Yosef. Yeravam was going to appoint himself king where? Not in his Nachla and Ephraim. Goes north into Menashe, into the city of Shechem. By being Mamlich himself, Melech in Shechem, he's making a statement. His statement is, my father, many generations back, Yosef, that's where it all started. Our people, our history is tied into Shechem. If one wanted to go from Hebron to Shechem, which would be from the capital of Yehuda to the capital of Yosef, one travels of fascinatingly similar path to Yosef Atzadik. Yosef was sent by his father, Me'emek Hebron, to check on the brothers where? In Shechem. And where does he pass? He takes the ancient road, Derech Ha'avot, you can still take it today, it's Highway 60. And it goes through Yerushalayim. And it goes through Shiloh. The Beis Hamikdash and the Mishkan find themselves on that route, right in between the two of them. Because if anybody is going to visit them, either from the north down south or from the south up north, they're going to be following the road of Yosef. What is the message? What does God want the Jewish people to hear? God wants the Jewish people to hear in this Nachla, in the positioning of Yosef and Yehuda side by side, the question that Yosef asks the, the man in, in Shechem, I'm looking for my brothers. The Jewish people can only be successful, only, only, if they have to look one to the other. They have to look brother in the eye and say, you're my brother. Yes, we're different. Yes, we possess different strengths. Yes, you're in one area and I'm in a different area. But imagine if we can say to each other, you're my brother and then take our talents together. That's when you build 
Binyan Adei Ad. That is when you build a Jewish people that can't be kicked out of the land. Even if their armies aren't as strong as, their, as the, uh, the opposing nations. It is a nation that is indestructible. Because God looks down and says, ah, that's, those are my children. My children are getting along. If you think about it, parents find themselves in a very serene state when they're sitting with their children getting along. I experienced it at the Seder just a few days ago to see my children all together at the table, talking to each other, asking questions on the Seder, and offering their own insights to each other in a way of Derech Heretz and Kavo. That's That's how it is. Guys, if parents get nachas that way, if parents are able to feel a certain sense of serenity, Shalom, Sheket, Veshalva, God our Father feels the same way. That is what he's waiting for. And so therefore, God set it up and said, I put you guys next to each other. Look at each other in the mirror. Can't you just get along? And if you can, good things will happen. Let's finish off the parak. A 30-minute plus introduction to nine more psukim. So we have the uh, we have the the area right down here by Meyericho. And then it says, You're going to head towards Atarot. I believe that's, we're actually going upward, and that gets us that way. That's one, one, uh, one uh, thing. And then what we do is we're, we're moving um, along to Beit Choron, which is right over here. Avad Gazer, and then it goes out to Gezer, and then it goes all the way to Yam, except it doesn't really go straight out. That's Nachladan. It goes up like that. And that is the Gvul of Ephraim. We have this area right here. You can see in big letters across the screen Ephraim. And uh, if you want to see what it is, eastward, so it goes from Achot Adar um, all the way. Until Beit Choron El Yon. We're, we're moving upwards to Tanat Shiloh. It seems like, if I understand the Psukim correctly, what it's trying to do is it's trying to give us the, the, the basic northernmost border and southernmost borders so we could kind of fill in the, the middle. And it goes to the Yardane. And then it goes back up north, mitapuach, yama, nach al kanava, you told yama, it goes from tapuach all the way out uh, west. So, nach lama tebin ephraim, mishokotam, the arim hamiv delot, belame ephraim, tok nach laben eshekolor, mechatsuyam. And you see that there are the way the, the borders is shaped, you have certain nooks and pieces where you're going to have ephraim and asher sort of um, overlapping. And the past again, Zohar saying, "Lo rishu the Kanani Yosef v'Gazer." They did not conquer the people of Gezer. V'Yeshev Kanani b'Kerev Ephraim Adayom Hazeh v'Hilamasovet, and they stayed there Adayom Hazeh, um, which is until says Dat Mikra Adayom Chibur Asefer, until Yoshua's book was concluded. I will be made Shlomo Lakad Paro Melchim Tzayim the year Paro conquers it and he gives it as a city to Shlomo. Hi, and that is it. 
they pay taxes living there. I think that before we conclude, I just have to, to say one thing. Here is a perek that we were able to read all the psokim in about three minutes. Do we fully understand how the borders work? I, this uh, map is a little bit helpful. I'm not really sure that every pasuk reads exactly smoothly for me to understand it 100%. But okay, we have that. And yet, here it is, we spent close to 40 minutes on a perek. Is it so rich in understanding it? Yes, the borders are what they are. And yes, the cities are what they are. And they have to go there. That's important. But I think that the message and the key piece of this whole perek is the, the depths of the perek. The challenge that the perek suggests to us. You're here. And Yosef, this is your land. And Yehuda, you're here. And that's your land. But you're given the land in a way that allows you the destiny of the Jewish people to unfold. Will you make it great? Will you allow yourselves to get along so Klal Yisrael could be successful? That is the challenge of Perak Tet Zion. We'll pick up next week with Perak Yod Zion, where we'll see more similarities to the Prakim of Yehuda. In fact, it almost seems like the, the end part of Yod Zion mirrors the... Uh, mirrors the extra parts that we had of um at the end of uh with Yehuda with with Kalev and his and his daughter and all that. It'll be interesting to see the compare and contrast. We'll do that God willing next week. Thank you so much again for joining us. Have a wonderful week and continue walking in the ways of the prophet.